Welcome to Curious Not Furious. I'm Louise Brooks, parenting coach and family advisor and a mom of two. I support parents to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids through one-to-one sessions, online courses and workshops. And here, where I take on the hard questions and offer actionable strategies and inspiration that can help you in your parenting. Hello and welcome back to the Curious Not Furious podcast. I'm back with a volume two of the episode that I shared a couple of weeks ago about courage. And I am because since I launched that episode, I've received quite a few texts and emails from you, dear listeners, asking me, could I say a little bit more about the last point I mentioned on the list of resilience skills that Brene Brown has identified? And what they're referring to is what I said about being committed to letting go of numbing behaviors and taking the edge of vulnerability, discomfort and pain by tapping out. What does that mean is what you want to know more of. And I'm so glad glad you ask. That episode would have been far too long if I carried on talking about that in that episode. So this is just a perfect opportunity to really focus on that one point alone, because there's a lot to be said about it. The fact that we tap out needs maybe a little bit explaining. What does it mean to tap out when we're experiencing discomfort? Remember, discomfort is one of those inevitable things that we have to feel when we're doing something that lies out of our comfort zone. So when we're doing maybe things that for us feel courageous, require our grounding, then we are absolutely having to feel discomfort. If we don't feel the discomfort, we're staying in our safe space. We are, we're staying within our playing field that we're used to operating within. When we step outside of that, we start feeling discomfort. And when we feel discomfort, it ain't pleasant. You know, I think we can all agree that discomfort is not something we actively seek out. We don't, we tend to find the most comfortable things. We can find the most comfortable mattress, most comfortable bed, you know, seat, clothes. We don't seek discomfort in general. And psychologically speaking, we're no different. We tend to want to just go where things feel good, things feel easy, the route of least resistance. Yet, as I kind of highlighted in last week's episode, there's also no growth where there's no discomfort. So psychological growth happens when we dare do things that make us feel, feel a little bit out of control, a little bit like we are not able to foresee what's going to happen next. We can't predict an outcome necessarily. We can't control how the other person sees us that we're talking to. And most of us don't really enjoy that so much. So what we do is we just do what we've always done. And we try and avoid having conversations that are going to make us feel any of the icky feelings that always come with doing things that are a bit courageous. So tapping out, numbing, or taking the edge off, whatever you want to call it, is 
as you know just a term to describe the behaviors and the strategies that we all have adopted through the course of our life to manage discomfort in our life and especially when relationships are concerned this shows up both in our relationship with our kids with our partner our friends our parents our co-workers everywhere we go and I think it's really important we look closer at the various wonderful and creative ways that we tap out. And the clearer we get on our preferred strategies, the more likely we will be to spot them. And the more likely we will be to apply a little bit of choice next time. Once we learn to identify what it is that we always do, our preferred strategy, we can catch ourselves doing it. And when we learn to do that, we can then decide Hmm, am I going to choose to stay here? Am I going to choose to not do what I normally do here? And build up a bit more tolerance for the discomfort. Because frustration tolerance or discomfort tolerance is actually a little bit like a muscle. I want you to think of your emotional system as being set like a thermostat to a particular temperature that feels comfortable for you, where you are not in a, in a stress response, but where you are sort of able to breathe relatively freely and easily. You can sleep at night, you can function um, efficiently, and you don't really sort of spend any unnecessary energy thinking about anything other than what's required of you. That's a, a natural set point. When we want to increase our capacity, our emotional capacity, and allow our system to become adjusted to taking on more without us functioning worse, we need to think of it as a way that we expand our container. And we do that not by overwhelming our container and exposing ourselves to things that feel downright threatening, but we do it in drips and drabs. We do it in little doses, you, you know, in small doses, enough that we can feel the overwhelm or feel the fear, and then we can come back to safety. A little bit like a toddler that's learning that, oh, I can actually toddle away from mom and explore the big scary world out there. And then the minute they see something that startles them, maybe a stranger that says hello, they run back to safety again, back to mom's safe arms. It's a little bit like that where tolerance for more emotion, for bigger emotions, and for uncomfortable emotion is concerned. I'll give you an example that most of us as parents can relate to. So the summer holidays around the corner, and some of us are going to get together with our families, and some of us will maybe even spend a bit of a holiday with our parents. And if you've ever done that, and you've been close to your parents-in-law, your own parents, you might have experienced on occasion that they have opinions, they have feelings about how you raise your children or how your children behave or who they are as people and how they emote and whether they emote too much or too little or whatever comes up in the space of spending time together. Of course, as a parent, this is uh, potentially shameful. This is stuff that can floor any parent to be given feedback or unsolicited advice or maybe just be told how other people experience our children especially people whose opinion we actually usually care about so to have someone's opinion be thrust upon us can feel quite, quite confronting 
Yet what I hear time and time again, and can certainly also recognize from my own life, is that there is what we experience and what we feel in that moment, and then that's, that's what we actually do. Those two things are not always matching. And for many of us, it's not until after the event or after having endured a long time together as a family with the in-laws or with our own parents that we come back and we feel, why didn't I say that? Or why did I allow this to happen? Or how do we even manage this unwanted dynamic? Because what many of us do in the moment is rather than perhaps leaning into our courage and setting a boundary or having a conversation is we go to our strategy. We go back to that thing that seems to work every time, which would be different for all of us, but which helps us to take the edge off the discomfort we're feeling. And what could that look like for some of us? Well, depending on your personality type, this might look like you trying harder. So this would look like applying a lot more pressure on your children. You may even pull your kids aside and give them a good telling off and say, hey, kids, shape up. You know, we, the grandparents don't like the way you behave and this is just getting too much now. Just calm down. And there may be, of course, a legit reason to do that. But if it's stuff you've never felt the need to pull them up on, but you're suddenly doing it because you're having outside feedback from your parents or your in-law, in-laws, it might be because you're trying to manage the discomfort of what has just been shared with you. That would be one strategy. So we just ask our kids to get a grip. The other strategy could be that we overcompensate. We do everything and more that we can to be on top of things, to be impervious to criticism. So we engage maybe in more perfectionism and think if we do it perfectly, if we anticipate every next move, we can get on top of things enough to protect ourselves against any criticism that may come our way. Also quite an exhausting task and one that's not viable long term because it means that we are we're gonna exhaust ourselves and also we can't really afford to spend a lot of time together because there will invariably be cracks showing. We cannot always be on top of things. So it leads to burnout. And it's just an addictive cycle because the more we try and do that and we fail, the more we take it as evidence that I didn't try hard enough and then we do more. We just try harder, work harder at being more and more perfect. So all around, not a sustainable solution either. The other thing we can do is we can use a strategy where we turn to our partner and we say, oh my goodness, would you listen to them? They are outrageous. I mean, they are always on and on and on about all the grandchildren. And isn't it unfair that they're talking about our kids and not our brother's kids? I mean, what's going on? They always have it in for them. And this is, you know, rich coming from how they raised me or whatever we might be saying. So what we're engaging in there is we are gossiping and we're criticizing and we are judging or blaming. Those are also ways that we take edge, the edge off, you know, of the feeling of discomfort or pain or vulnerability or shame, whatever we're feeling underneath. Your preferred strategy in that moment might also be to get defensive. It might look on the surface as if courage is standing up and being defensive because we tend to think of standing up as something where we argue our case. 
Now, being defensive is not about courage. Being defensive is about shielding ourselves, closing ourselves off to vulnerability. We are putting an armor up around ourselves and pushing it right back in the other person's face. We refuse to look at whether there can be some truth to what is being shared with us. And we're refusing to look in a balanced and in a critical way at, at what's going on. So defensiveness is usually when we try and do more courageous communication is what we go to. We just go, well, don't you talk to me like that? Or that's rich coming from you. Or how dare you say that about my kids? That sort of language tends to just create more conflict and increase disconnection. All of those behaviors I just listed right there. So we talked about minimizing, we talked about pointing fingers, blaming, gossiping, getting defensive. Those behaviors are all part of what we could call numbing behaviors, tapping out behaviors. Because what they offer us is a shield. They offer us an opportunity to not feel the discomfort that someone else's feedback to us generates for us. So what could we do instead would be a good question, right? What would courage look like here? If courage is not about becoming defensive and just throwing mud at the other person, what does courage then look like? Well, courage looks first at acknowledging what is going on for us. What am I feeling? Hmm, I'm feeling ashamed would be a natural feeling to have in this situation. And shame, one of the most useful definitions for me about shame is something about unwanted identity. We feel ashamed when someone says something about us or about our kids that implies that we're a certain kind of person. Someone who doesn't have it together. Someone who can't set boundaries. Someone who lets their children indulge. Someone who has failed to show their kids right from wrong. Someone who is spoiling their child. Someone who is tolerating too much from their child. That, for most of us, is an unwanted identity. That's not what we want other people to think about us. So therefore, when someone says something that could allude to the fact that they think that about us, we naturally feel shameful. Now, the thing about shame is that it loves secrecy. It loves when we don't speak about it, when we just act from that place instead of actually speaking it. It doesn't really thrive when we share it with someone else, how we're feeling. And we don't need to do that to our parents necessarily. We don't even need to do that to our mother or father-in-law, we can even just share that with our partner. Oh, I feel, I feel so bad about myself or about my parenting when they say these things. Okay, so you've articulated it. You've admitted it to yourself. You've seen that feeling in yourself. Already there. Just think about it right now. Last time you did something like that, when you admitted a difficult feeling you were having, admitted your shame... It kind of loosens its hold on you, doesn't it? It's like, okay, I'm not alone. I've spoken about it and it loses its, loosens its hold over you. And then when you do that, you're already a little bit less triggered because you've admitted it to yourself. So I always think it's a really good idea to not respond to things like that in the heat of the moment. 
but usually when we get feedback like this, it's something that happens more than once. And we actually get an opportunity to take take a moment to ourselves and think about how we're going to respond, you know. And usually when we do that, it's a good idea to acknowledge that the other person has an agenda as well. The other person's agenda is generally not mean. It's a really good thing to trust about people in our lives. And we could call that, what's the most generous interpretation I could offer around this, if I were to be really generous? Okay, so my mother-in-law telling us that she thinks that our children are being given way too much space to have big feelings. What? Where could this possibly come from? What's the best possible place this could come from? Well, it's probably coming from a place of her not wanting our child to run into trouble in the future and be too much for other people or to grow up to be too self-indulgent. She's probably concerned about the welfare of our child, just like we are about our child. We're just coming at it from different perspectives. So in having a conversation with our mother-in-law, we do well to first acknowledge the fact that she cares about our child, even though what she is implying or what she said is something that we're not ready to fully take on board or something that we don't fully agree with, and that's fine. So acknowledging the other person's perspective and and motivation is always a really good peacemaking way of starting the conversation. We also then need to get clear on what is it about this being, what's being said that we don't agree with? Is it the fact that we are just not perfect in that person's eyes? In which case, maybe that's one for ourselves to kind of work on. Okay, is it okay not to be perfect? What does that mean about me when other people find out that I'm not brilliant at everything or that there are perhaps things that I haven't completely you know, nailed in my parenting, which is the case for all of us? Or is it the fact that there is something about the way our mother-in-law says these things? Is it the content of what she's saying? Get clear on what it is that triggers you about what's being said. Once you're clear on that piece, you'll find it so much easier to lean into the courage that's required to set a boundary with your mother-in-law. There'd be a million ways to phrase this, but a good place to start is to first acknowledge with your mother-in-law that you see her good intentions. Once we show people that we do acknowledge their intention and when we trust that their intention is good and pure, it's generally much easier to have difficult conversations. But the idea being here that instead of moving in to get defensive straight away or to engage in all the blame, shame, criticizing or gossiping that we could do in order to make ourselves feel better about the situation, we dare exposing the feeling that it brings up for us. We dare calling it by its name. We dare feeling that discomfort. Not so that we need to wallow in it for days or get stuck there, but so that we can experience that we don't break from feeling discomfort. We can tolerate it. We can breathe through that. We can hold ourselves when we're feeling those feelings. And I tell you what, the more we become comfortable with letting the world see us the way they see us and not, and I tell you what, the more we can practice 
tolerating the gaze of other people and the opinions of other people without minimizing ourselves, without taking ourselves away and showing less of ourselves, armoring up, perfecting things and making sure that there's no mistakes in how we're showing up, but showing up in all our you know, glory and in all our humanity, we win. We win in terms of deeper relationships and deeper connection with, with other people and we become a far better role model to our kids that we can carry on and we are deeming ourselves deserving of love and belonging and closeness with other people even though we're not always perfect or even when we feel like we don't agree with other people. I hope it's clear to you by now that resilience is such a fundamental part of good quality of life and that if we want to be people who don't just deflect criticism that comes our way, that don't just either push it back in other people's face or take it upon ourselves to change and perfect ourselves or stay away from things or people that make us feel less than, then resilience is one of those skills that we can thankfully practice by becoming aware of what those skills are, what those skills that make up resilience are. And just to list them again, they include good problem-solving skills, seeking help, leaning into help, availing of people around us who feel helpful to us, a support system, adopting a belief system that what we're going through right now or that what we're feeling right now is not going to last forever, and the skill of practicing critical awareness. Okay, so is what I make this mean about myself true? Could there be other perspectives? Is it just me? Is this not something I particularly need to be feeling ashamed of? Or is everyone else feeling this way as well? These are the things we can reach for when the going gets tough. And the more we remember to do that, and the more we practice doing that, reaching out, challenging ourselves, if it's not your natural inclination to reach out in times, in hard times, in difficult times, or if you're the sort of person who does it after the event, but not during the event when you're going through the messy middle, but you do it when things are kind of nice and neat again, then you tell about it in retrospect. Maybe your challenge is to begin to reach out as you're going through it, not to everyone, but to a trusted individual or individuals. If you are the sort of person who believes that everything that happens is going to just be doom day, it's going to last forever. What I feel right now is going, I'm going to be sentenced to this feeling forever. We're never going to get out the other side. Then maybe beginning to look back over your life and identify a time when things were tough and realize, hey, do you know what? Things actually did shift since that time when I thought nothing was going to shift for me. Maybe there's good reason to believe that it will again. And equally, when we look at today's part of the resilience building, letting go of numbing and taking the edge off vulnerability and wanting to tap out, recognizing that those instincts are innate. We have those instincts for good reason because we don't particularly enjoy discomfort. But the more we can build up a tolerance for that discomfort, the more we stand to gain because the closer we can afford to get to other people and the more meaningful our relationship both to ourselves but to other people can become. So 
I hope this example I brought up today will illustrate how it can look. There'll be many, many more ways that this could play out in your life. I'm sure you can think of examples where it feels particularly relevant in your life. I'd always love to hear from you about what is going on where this could be useful. And I invite you with some gentle, compassionate awareness to notice what it is that seems to be your preferred strategy in terms of numbing or tapping out. And begin to identify what you'd like to do instead and begin to practice, maybe over the summer holiday, doing some more brave things, staying with it, not tapping out, staying with it, sharing with someone you trust what you're feeling and identify what it is that you need and dare asking for it. I will be back again in two weeks time with a last episode before the summer holidays. And until then, remember guys, get curious instead of furious. And even if you do get furious, come back to that curiosity. It just gets you further every time. I wish you a good week and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.